Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. We'll dismiss the school-age kids to the back. And as they go there, if you would open your Bibles, if you brought one, to Philippians chapter 1. I grew up in one of those churches that had the big sign on uh, the door when you walked in that said, no food or drink inside. And then I always watched the pastors as they would drink water as they preached. And I thought, hypocrites, you know, <clears throat> how in the world? We don't have that sign up there. This is not our building. You can bring whatever you want in here. But um, if you didn't drink water and I did, um, you know, don't secretly judge me out there. <clears throat> I've got a little voice thing going on. It's hap been happening for a couple of weeks. So you can pray I get through this today. Um, one of the uniqueness of today is uh, that it's 9-11. It's anniversary of 9-11 over two decades ago. Uh, we saw the worst of humanity, how sin corrupts and evil destroys, and we also witnessed some of the best of humanity. People willingly give their life for another. And so I wanted to start off this morning um, just with a prayer. If you would just pray with me as I pray aloud, maybe you would pray silently. God, we love you. We worship you today. You're our refuge and strength. You're our very present help in trouble. As the psalmist says, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea. We will not be afraid, though skyscrapers tumble and fall, though terror alerts are raised, the constant no noise of wars and rumors of wars all around us. For you say that the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, but you utter your voice and the earth melts. Lord, you promise us that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And although I know we live in uncertain and sad and a dangerous world, we always have and always will have your sovereignty, your eye watching over us, your fixed love upon us, and your promises. So Father, as we enter into a time of studying, we open your word. Would you remind us that you're our rock and refuge, our king and comforter? We pray today that you would sustain all those who lost loved ones on 9-11. You would show them mercy, give them comfort. For those who believe in you, that you would minister by your spirit and the truths of your word. And for those that are far from you, would you use this reminder of a tragedy over two decades later to draw these broken-hearted men and women and children to yourself? It's in Jesus' name, amen. We've been walking through the book of uh, Philippians. This is Paul's letter to this little town of Philippi, uh, mostly made up of retired Roman soldiers. Um, several hundred miles away from Rome, 
Um, it was the first church that was planted on the continent of Europe. It was planted by the Apostle Paul. And um, I think, and I know you're not supposed to have favorites, I think it's Paul's favorite church. He just loves them so much. He just, I mean, you can just see his love and his heart as it starts in, uh, in, in verse 3. He talks about making this prayer for them with joy. It's this, he says, I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace. It is a beautiful passage. And then towards the end, and those of you who are very linear and, you know, normally we like pick a book and we just walk through it chapter by chapter. This has looked more like a tic-tac-toe in some ways, and I'm sorry for that. I, I encourage you to read uh, <clears throat> this little letter of Philippians every day. If you've got a version or ESV app or something like that, you put it on times and a half if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you can hang with it. And it takes you about 11 minutes to listen to the whole thing. <clears throat> And as I was doing that, we're supposed to start chapter 2. Someone asked me, when are we ever going to get to chapter 2? We're going to get there one day. But this verse just kept grabbing my heart. I'm going to read it for you again. Uh, Miss Emily read it earlier. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or, or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul's in prison. He's on house arrest, waiting to see Caesar, Nero, who in his mind he's going to witness to and likely see what God does, but likely lose his life. And he writes this little letter to a church that he loves. It's so full of joy. He's so prayerful for them. And it almost sounds like a coach and a halftime speech to me. This just, I, man, my heart, even just every time I read it, is just on fire for what he's asking us and calling us. He says, let, your, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. That's the heading maybe this morning. Paul's already made this point so abundantly clear that our lives are meant to display the gospel. To put on display an undying, unending, never stopping love that Jesus has for his church. And that the church returns in love and trust and loyalty to him. I want to look at that phrase, manner of life. Uh, the ancient Greek word is actually a um, kind of a, a political word, a national word, but maybe in your translation it says conduct. And what he's in addressing is the temptation to separate our spiritual lives with the rest of our life. Friends, that's not the Christian faith. A Christian faith is one that follows Jesus and makes him Lord of all, for all. 
We don't follow him perfectly. I'm not saying that. We stumble and fall, of course. But as Proverbs says, as a righteous fall uh, six times and gets up seven, this is what we're doing. We're pursuing Christ and his lordship in all things. Let your conduct, let the manner of your life, he says, be aligned with the gospel. Ultimately, this is what this is. It's a lordship of all of life kind of issue. The most important potent, lethal weapon against the enemy is not my preaching. It's not this incredible worship. It's not the best of the best that do what we do. The most lethal weapon against the enemy is the consistent life of a believer that lives as a counterculture, that puts their hope in Christ and Christ alone. This is a citizenship word. Live like you are a citizen of heaven, maybe Paul says. Remember, this is a Roman city, hundreds of miles from actual Rome. And they would use this words to say, let's act Roman. Even though we're not, no, there's no Romans around us, let's still carry on the ideals of being a Roman, the pride of being a Roman. Like the pride of being an American. When you go overseas, there's a certain pride about it. When the Olympics come on. You know, I never care about most of those sports ever in my life. And then I find myself yelling at the TV during curling because, you know, I want the Americans to win. I want to see the medal count. I got this pride in the country, right? And this is, this is what Paul is saying. But not as, as a Rome, Roman in Philippi. He's saying as a citizen of heaven living on earth. Let the way you live display that you are in Philippi, but a citizen of heaven. Let the way that you live communicate to everyone who knows you that you're a citizen of America, that you're a resident of Bozier or Benton or Houghton or Blanchard, but your, act, your citizenship is actually not here. It's in heaven. Well, what does that mean? How, how should we have to live then? If we, okay, I wanna, I wanna, I'm, I'm, I'm in, Paul. I, I'm going to wear the colors. I want to wear the colors of heaven so that everyone knows that, I, that I'm actually a citizen of heaven. I want you to flip uh, forward just uh, two chapters real quick. <clears throat> Paul uses this exact word again in verse 20. <clears throat> he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Same word as manner of life. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we get it. Citizen of heaven, living here on earth. Back up just a few verses in verse 16. He says, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Three things real quickly that this is what it really means to live as a citizen of heaven while living on earth. He tells us three things in that little passage right above in chapter three, and then we're going to get back to, to, to our focus chapter. But this is how Paul kind of explains this. He keeps coming to it again and again. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What have we, what have, what have we already attained? Really three things. Intimacy, holiness, and power. This is what he says in verse eight. Intimacy, the surpassing, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Intimacy, we have a new access. And then holiness, we have, a, we have a new ethic. We have a new pursuit or value system. He says up there in, uh, in 8 and in, into 9, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Righteousness, being right with God. But this is a term maybe we would use is, is holiness. This new ethic that we can pursue. And then finally, power in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, friends, I, I don't want these to be just words that you hear. I, I want us to remember this. My dad had this way. My dad's uh, passed uh, four years ago. And uh, coming up on five. And, and he had this way of making up a song about everything so that we could, we could remember it. And I thought about making up a song for you. <clears throat> but I'm not going to. Um, it's the voice. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't deliver a peak performance. So if you rearrange these words, it's the word hip. So you can just think hip, hip, array. Hip, 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 array. Holiness, intimacy, power. Holiness, intimacy, power. Now, I, I, I want you to remember this because this is the key, friends, to knowing who you are as a disciple of Jesus. Holiness, intimacy, and power. Intimacy. We've got this new access to God. Holiness. We've got this new paradigm and this new ethic that we live into. And power. We've got the power of the resurrection inside of us. Okay, you're not getting as excited as I was getting. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna redo this. Man, Rachel, where's your dad? He's not here today to amen me on. We got we to gotta get him back. First, look at this idea of access. This is where it all starts. We have access to the throne of Jesus. First, as citizens. You ever try to come, go into a country that you're not a citizen of, and they kind of grill you at customs and see what you have, and you have to wait, and they look through your things. That's just because you're not a citizen there. So there's an extra, extra suspicion, and maybe you're not even allowed in. Or you get in, you're not allowed out. That's what it is to be a citizen. So we're a citizen. We can, we can, access, the, we can access the people of God. This is, this is, this is earth-shadowing forever. Only the Jews could do this. And then the gospel comes in the book of Acts. And you remember uh, Cornelius. And you remember the sheet coming down from, from heaven as, as Peter's praying. And he says, the gospel that's for you is also for them. And it's not that big a deal to us because we know it all, all the time. But imagine it would be like living in the dark all of your life. And then for the first time visiting someone with electricity. It was this brand new thing. We have access as citizens of heaven. We can, we can rejoice. But... But it doesn't just end there. It's not just access. It, Paul takes it a step further. That, that, that our access, we can actually know Jesus Christ, my Lord. Jesus came and he, he taught us to call him Father. And not even Father as like, a, like Father, like, like, like Papa, like Dad, like whatever your kids call you. That. That kind of way of knowing him, it's a, it's a, it's a new access, a deeper access. It's crazy intimate. You know, you, you can come over to my house if you want. Don't come this afternoon because I'm napping. But other than that, for, during light hours, you can come over to my house. And if I'm there, I'll invite you in. And um, I've got some fresh coffee grounds and an AeroPress and a comfy couch and a high-speed ceiling fan. And we can sit down and we can just chat it up. You, you literally, you're, you're welcome at my house but not in my room, and certainly not in my bathroom, and certainly not the next layer of my closet, right? Because cause you're, not, you're not part of my family. Not, not really, my, my family of Claire, Ellie, and Hudson. Now, Claire, Ellie, and Hudson, there's no boundaries in my house for them. 
because it's their house. Does that make sense? They can go anywhere. They play hide and seek in my closet. This is what, this is, this is so unbelievable. This is what Paul's saying. Citizen of heaven, you got access into, to, into the people of God. The next step, you can call him dad. You can crawl into his lap at three in the morning. And he never gets tired of you coming. This is what Jesus said in the parable of the persistent widow. When you pray, just keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying. God doesn't grow weary like we do. We have this new access. Hebrews actually invites us to enter the throne room with boldness. Jesus tells us to ask with persistence. So we keep asking and we keep coming. I love the Psalms for this reason. You read the Psalms and the psalmist is like, I love you, God. Where are you, God? I'm angry at you, God. Did you, did you leave me, God? I, I love you, God. My, my hope's in you, God. I'm lonely, God. You're the best, God. I'm mad at you now, God. Over and over. How could you, God? Oh, there you are, God. You never leave me, never forsake me. Again and again. It's like, it's like what, who is this person? He's one of us. Do you, do you not live your life like that? I live in this like height of spiritual power. Like, you know, just put a demon in my way. We're going to cast that thing out, right? And then, then some, some days I'm weak and weary and discouraged. And I don't want to get off the couch. And God says, bring it all to me. If you feel it, bring it. That's the kind of access we have. My kids don't have to act a certain way when they're crawling on the couch with me. I want them to be authentic. I want them to shed the tears. I want them to cry the things. We'll laugh together, cheer together, pray together, rejoice together, mourn together. And that's the kind of access we have. This is what God invites us into. This is the manner of life. This is the access we have. Real intimacy with the Father. And that intimacy then leads to obedience. It creates a new desire in us. This is the holiness piece. Connor talked about this last week for a bit. To will and to do. This is the new ethic. We don't just do what we want, what feels good. God works in us to produce a new way of living, a new holiness. We take on this new ethic to actually pursue and chase after and grab hold of the most holy and lovely and worthy things. This is such a gift from God. You, you remember when you were a kid or maybe you played this trick on your kids if, you, if you're mean. Uh, <clears throat> I did. Um, where they don't know uh, what money is yet. They just kind of know that it's shiny. And then, um, you know, they could have a $20 bill and you could have five pennies and, and they'll swap with you. And, um, and they think they got the better deal. <clears throat> I feel spiritually that's, that's how this is. This is this new holiness. That in our own sin, we chase after, we chase after the, the shiny thing that, that just gets waved in front of us. And we think, oh man, this is going to be great. I'm going to have the shiny thing. Let's, let's go after this. We chase after the wrong things. We trade in the glory of God for the fleeting pleasures of sin. But God is such a loving father. He didn't leave us in that ignorance. No, he came to purchase our freedom so that we could have a knowledge of what is most holy and what is most lovely. For it is God who works in you, chapter 2, verse 13, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He does all the work. He does the willing. He does the working. This is our new ethic. And it what, it's really what reveals the depth of our actual heart. If we're spending time with the Father, he began, begins to change 
our desires. Oh, and let's not forget the power. Supernatural power. He gives us supernatural power to accomplish it. He doesn't send us to war with no ammo. No, so much better than that. He goes with us. The actual power, Paul says, that raised Jesus from the dead to defeat sin and death forever is accessible to us every day. It is so incredible, the power to heal sickness and overcome sin and resist Satan himself. The Holy Spirit inside us. He says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is the new manner of life. This is the new way we live. This is what we have attained. Now, quick caveat, and we're going to get to these three quick points in this text. These moments aren't just lived out in the cataclysmic moments of our life. No, they're lived out in the little moments. Paul Tripp says this, I love this. Life is not lived in big moments. It's lived in thousands and thousands of little moments. And these little moments make up our character and determine how we act and react in the big moments. We say things and do things that are out of line with who we say we are. But we excuse our actions by saying it was just a little moment. This is, this is the kicker. If God doesn't rule your little moments, he doesn't rule you. Because we live life in the little moments. And Paul addresses these little moments that lead to the big moments. Back to Philippians 1. Y'all remember who we are, right? Hip, holiness, intimacy, and power. Y'all remember that? Anytime you hear someone say hip, hip, hooray, no one says that anymore. But if they ever did, and you're watching an old movie, you'll remember, you'll remember this. <clears throat> Only let our, better, let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so whether I come or absent, I may hear of you. This is what he wants to hear. That was who we are. This is, this is what we do. This is why we're here. You're standing firm in one spirit. Notice the little s here. Anytime there's a capital S in your scripture that's referring to the Holy Spirit, this is talking about our common shared spirit, that we're standing firm in one spirit. This is the physical aspect of the posture. This is our fighting stance, so to speak, with feet planted in resisting the onslaught of the enemy. We're standing firm Together, using the plural, we're standing firm in one spirit, with one passion, with one pursuit. We're standing firm. This is it. We're standing firm with one mind. Paul actually puts these two words together. He says your spirit mind, and he's talking about basically your whole body. Aligning your physical posture with your internal mindset, with, the, with your heartbeat. Not just unified in our posture. Hey, we're going we're gonna to come together. No, but unified in our spirit and what we're chasing after. In our actions, not only in our actions, but in our mind. And what is this unified purpose? Again, this is, goes back to Paul's thing, that our lives are meant to display the gospel. You know how when you're at the checkout line and they've got all these like little enticing things for your kids to just make it miserable on a parent, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you, you know, you know, you get up there, you might need a life straw or a fidget spinner or all the chocolate or candy that you could ever, or a monster drink, you might need that. You just never know what you're going to need till you get up front. And so you get there and then the kids are like, man, I just, you know, dad, I want chocolate. You, you've done this. Now, you know, 
Couples that know this, they go together and they split up at the end. One person checks out, the other person takes kids to the car, right? We've, we've beat the system that way, but sometimes that's not always possible. This is what Paul's trying to bring the focus to us because I think we do the same thing. Spiritually, we just start chasing after <clears throat> anything that's shiny. Let me, let me just go chase after this. This is what we saw the last couple of years. Let me, let me go chase after the politics. Let me, let, let me go chase after this other thing. Let me go chase after these things that in the end, they're not the main thing. And we have all these denominations and all these churches that are divided over these smaller things. And Paul says, listen, I want you to strive. I want you to stand firm in one spirit with one mind. When your kids are crying for all the little things, Target, you're like, no, 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 no. We came here for one thing. We, we came here. We came here to get the coffee creamer. It's a big deal. We got to get the coffee creamer. That's why we came. And a rug. We got to get a rug. We just need that. <clears throat> with one mind. Look at this. Oh, man, I love this. Striving side by side for faith of the gospel. I just feel like Paul saying this. He's just like a coach at halftime. He's just, just the rally. Friends, let's stand firm in one spirit, right? With one mind, striving side by side with faith of the gospel. This is an athletic term. This is actually the Greek word that we get the term athlete from. It's the, the term that uh, Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2 to, to compete according to the rules, he says. It's what Paul uses in Ephesians, that the Christian life is a spiritual battle that we have to fight our way through. One translation says it this way, battling as a team with a single aim for the faith. Man, this lights my soul on fire. Striving side by side for faith of the gospel. Well, for whose faith, pastor? Well, for yours and for theirs. Listen, God made the Christian life one of community. We're striving side by side because when I strive side by side, when I do life with you, you help grow and increase my faith. I don't have time to tell you all the times where I have felt the lowest, discouraged, doubting, weary, and I come into this faith family. And the simple practice of worshiping together and communion and the common grace of the word shared just lifts my spirit like nothing else. This is why so many during COVID just kind of wandered away and their faith was starving because they just didn't have anyone to strive side by side with for faith in the gospel. They discouraged, doubting, weary, Chapter 2 reminds us that we're supposed to work at our salvation. This is not, again, working for their salvation in a sense of accomplishing it, but to work out their salvation, to see it evident in every area of their life, to activate this salvation that God freely gives. So we strive side by side for faith. You help increase my faith. I don't know if it's the... My counselor said it might be the phases of the moon. I don't know what it is. But I, I've been having these like, uh, these, these weeks of just, just in the funk, just, just so sad. And I don't even know what I'm sad about. And I'm just sad. And I don't, I'm normally so optimistic and so full of hope and ready to charge hell with a water pistol. That's normally like, well, that's, that's me. But I've been getting in these sad moments. And 
I didn't know what foul spirit was coming over me or if it was just mid-40s or what, and I started asking all the things. But you know what I did? The best thing I did is I, I told about five of my closest friends. And I was very vulnerable, and, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not super pastor up here. I've got all the weaknesses that you have. And I said, would you just pray with me so we can figure this thing out? If this is a spiritual thing, let's, let's just go to battle on our knees. And I had some dear friends just lay hands on me and pray over me. And it changes things. We strive side by side for faith in the gospel. For your faith, for your kids' faith. We're striving side by side with others in this very room for your kids' faith. It's true. Listen, research tells us that 60 million teenagers that grew up in church are gonna, in the next 10 years are going to walk across the stage on Senior Sunday and not go back to church. Not only are they leaving church, but they walk away from their faith. Books have been written about this called The Rise of the Nuns. So many, like as the, the check mark, nun, N-O-N-E. This is not a hit on Catholics, the, the rise of the nuns. <clears throat> Different thing. Sorry, it's a, it's, a, it's a pastor joke. It's fine. I, I laugh about it a lot. It's not, the, not that. The three ra- reasons that this the book gave that those teenagers are living, uh, leaving the church is, one, their parents played religious games. They didn't really model faith at home. Faith was something we did on Sundays, had no, no meaning of what we did with our lives. Didn't, didn't govern what we did with our money, what, with our actions, with anything. It was just the, the, the tradition on a Sunday. Secondly, that parents thought that youth group would do the work of discipleship for them. It, it won't. Parents in here, you are the primary faith trainer of your kids. And if it's not real at home, to them it's not real. It's just what you're doing. It's just, it's just the charade you're playing. It's like being a member of the Lions Club. Like, it's the, you know, you go to a couple meetings here and there and you pay some dues. That's not the gospel of the New Testament, just, just so you know. Third reason, the priority of faith was at best in the margins. Everything else, even if it was important to the parents, they didn't show it to the kids. They made decisions that showed that everything else was simply more important than the gospel. This is the power of the second voice. I grew up in a pastor's home, and my dad was very, and my mom both, very invested in my formation. I told you my dad would make up these songs, and we would remember scripture, and it's still funny. I feel like he's still, in a sense, you know, I I laugh at these, because just last week, you know, I read a passage, and my dad's song came in my head, and I start singing it, and I'm like, man, that's a horrible song, but I remember that scripture, and I'm so glad he did that. But it wasn't until I was a junior in high school and a youth pastor from a church that I didn't even go to visited our lunch shift and we were having lunch with my friends and he showed up every week and third or fourth time and he asked me personally, Luke, what is God showing you through the word? And I said, well, you mean what I've been reading? Because I was very disciplined. I, I read through the Bible probably six or seven times before I graduated high school. I, I'm so disciplined. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't care what you're reading. What's the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you? Well, I didn't, know, I didn't know about intimacy. I'd heard it at church all the time, but that was the first time that power of the second voice just spoke so clearly to me. And there was a campus ministry guy my freshman year who did the same thing. And these, the power of the second voice in the life of your kids, we're striving side by side for your faith, for the faith of your kids, and for your friend's faith. 
This is why I tell you to listen to the Spirit's leading when he puts someone on your heart to pray for them, to text them and encourage them. I had one bad day this week when I woke up and I just feel like, man, we're not winning and I'd gotten some bad news and I was discouraged and I was doing all the things I normally do to fight through it. I'm going to get 30 minutes of sunlight. I'm going to make sure I sweat and work out. I'm going to get the, the Christian uh, worship, worship music and and I'm going to just surround myself. And I was just fighting. It was one of those days where you're just, you're just fighting to be hopeful in the gospel. And a friend sent me a text. And as a friend that doesn't go to this church, he says, hey, uh, bro, it, thinking about you this morning, our community is so lucky to have you. Thank you for what you do. And that little encouragement just lifted my soul right up. I felt like I was playing video game. You know, when you get the extra light, blah, 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 and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's, th- this is how we strive side by side for faith in the gospel. We listen to the Spirit's leading, and when He puts someone on our heart, we pray for them. And if you can, send them a text or send them a letter or send them an email to know, hey, this is how great God is. I'm a thousand miles away from you, but God put you in my heart, and I responded in prayer. And then when I read that, The spirit inside of me just comes alive. This is how we strive side by side for faith, our friend's faith. Even Jesus and his humanity, what does he do? He takes Peter, James, and John to the the Mount of Transfiguration, into the garden in his lowest days. Paul here is thanking several people by name because of how much ministry that they've done to him. Your faith helps strengthen others' faith. And listen, the enemy knows this. That's why he didn't want you to come on a Sunday. That's why, that's why most marriages have their, uh, their sharpest disagreements with their spouse on a Sunday morning. That's why you wake up and your kids are against you. And you, you always sprain your ankle on Saturday night or whatever it is. There's always an excuse. Because he knows if you get into this community of believers, he's going to lift your eyes up to him. And you're going to encourage one another. You're going to lift your friend's faith up. Your faith is going to be strengthened. It's hard to take out the person who's striving side by side. It's easy to take out the person who's alone and off by themselves. Your faith, your kid's faith, your friend's faith, finally the faith of those who don't even know that there's a faith. He says in the next few verses, it's unity in the faith that becomes the greatest proof that the gospel is real. This is what sets the Christian gospel apart from every other religion in the world. It's attained through grace, and that grace is stronger than every worldly division and category in the world. Talking about the manner of life, they made up a new word for the church at Antioch because they were all walks of life and from all different places and spoke even different languages. But the one thing that brought them together was the way. They followed the way. And so they came up with this term, Christian, for those people who are living this different paradigm of a life. Friends, we're striving side by side for faith in the gospel. This is not a game. Look at this last point that Paul makes here in verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He says, we do all of this 
one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel without fear. The world's getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. And it's going to keep getting darker and darker and darker and darker. But that, that doesn't cause fear in us. We know that if we're striving side by side for faith in the gospel, that we're going to be opposed. When you walk with intimacy and you pursue holiness and you operate in power, you're going to be opposed. Mostly by people who don't understand, I believe, but also the very power of hell is going to come against you. When you start stumbling into a stronghold of the enemy, and he's had this stronghold in your family for generation and generation and generation, and you start pushing back against that darkness to expand the kingdom of light in that area, he's going to unleash everything to stop it. But we don't have to be fearful of that because we're striving side by side. I got your back and you got mine. We got the spirit inside of us that's greater than the spirit that's in the world. Friends, don't give in to fear. When you have fear, remember it's not from the Father, not at all. Fear paralyzes us. It's often used by the enemy to stop what God's doing. Paul says, not for a second. Don't, don't be afraid, but be bold, and your boldness will be a clear sign of your new ethic and new power and their lack of it. Oh, and by the way, he says you're going to suffer. Just throw that in there. Just, Jason preached two weeks on that, all the, suffering, all the suffering you need. You can go back and check out those. But I love how me and Jason were laughing at this this week. He says it as like a gift. You ever get that email that says that uh, you've, been, you've, you've won $10 million from somewhere or that your ancestor has gold in Africa or something and you win it? And for just a second, you're like, oh, man, that'd be so nice. I know this is fake, but that'd be so nice. This is how Paul kind of says it. It has been granted to you. This is, this is the cherry on top of your ice cream sundae. You got an ice cream sundae. Oh, and it's been granted to you that you also suffer. But that's going to be a gift. That's the cherry on top. You're going to have life-altering, world-changing faith. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Oh, and on top of that, you're going to get to suffer for Christ. Well, why is that a good thing? Well, Paul doesn't necessarily tell us here. But James, Jesus' half-brother, does tell us when he says that we should have joy in every kind of difficulty because suffering makes us dependent on him, that it grows endurance and endurance to steadfastness. And when the suffering is finally over, you're going to look more like Christ than you ever thought possible. So at the end of that verse, that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's why we endure suffering with joy. I said a lot here. Here's what I, here's what I want you to remember. Who you are. And why you're here, who you are. For those of you who've stepped across the line of faith and put their faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you who you are. You're a child of the King of Kings. You've got access to the Father. You can call him Abba. You can call him Daddy. You can go to him with boldness. You can, in persistence, just keep asking and asking for what he's placed on your heart. You're a part of a people that are pursuing a new holiness, a new ethic. And you've got power. That's who you are. Maybe you've forgotten why you're here. The focus, Paul makes it very clear. With one heart and one mind, we're standing firm, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. Maybe you've gotten distracted by all the things on the checkout aisle. I was in Lowe's last week. 
Again, that's what I tell you. I was cheating on Home Depot, but I was in Lowe's. And I just went in to grab this one little thing. And I walked in and I could hear this kid, I mean, losing his mind. This kid was pulling out all the guns, uh, three or four. So you Lowe's a big place. So the, all of Lowe's could hear it. And I didn't see the kid when I walked in. I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to make eye contact, you know. Straight, got my thing, got out to the checkout aisle. This kid is still losing his mind. It's been seven minutes probably I've been in this store. And this mom just didn't care. It was amazing. She, she was not giving in. That kid was not getting a lollipop. He is screaming. He's got the lollipop in his hand, you know, and the, the mom just watched some HGTV show, and she's buying lamps and rugs and all the things, I assume. And this kid is going for it. I, I wanted to go high-five the mom and be like, yes, all-star mom right here, right? Friends, it's so easy for us to be distracted. You know what? A lot of us has made life just about comfort. We just want to chase the biggest house and biggest thing. We just want to be comfort. We want to go on those seven-day cruises. We want, to, we want to go for those vacation that you stay in a hut over the ocean. or something. That sounds amazing. I'd love to do that one day, but that's not what life's about. Life's about striving side by side for faith in the gospel, that the world is lost and they are headed into a Christless eternity. And God has placed the gospel inside of us. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go now and be ambassadors for me. As if God is making his appeal to them through you. That's what life's about. Striving side by side for your faith and your kids' faith and your friends' faith and the faith of those who don't even know that there's a faith. That's why you're here. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm just going to give you some time to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're going to take some time of communion in a minute. And as you come take communion, I want you to think about those three things. The access, this intimacy with God, this holiness that we've been called to and this power that's been given to you. I want you to think about this striving side by side for faith in the gospel. Friends, this is not a game. We had a teenager in our community take his life a couple weeks ago that touched close to home to many of us. But the suicide rate is out of, out of this world. People with no hope. This can't be a game. Youth ministry is not a game. And kids ministry is not a game. And showing up every Sunday, it's just not a game. And I want you to spend some time. Would you just ask the Lord wherever you are, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? Just ask him, Lord, what are you saying to me? Maybe you've forgotten who you are. He's just going to remind you who you are. You are a child. You're a son, you're a daughter of the king of kings in the universe. You don't have to live with a religious spirit. You don't have to live with an orphan spirit. You are my child and I love you. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that today. And others, just the shiny things, it's just distracted us. Maybe you just need to be reminded with the just renewed focus of locking arms with a faith community and striving side by side for faith in the gospel.
I just feel compelled to say, I know some of you have been really hurt by the church. And can I apologize on, ha- on behalf of them? The people who didn't know better, or maybe they, maybe they weren't even believers. They just, they were ugly to you and they said things or gossiped or you, you saw the ugly side of it and I am sorry for that. But don't judge the love of Jesus based on those people. His heart is for you, friends. God, I love you. I thank you for your grace. I pray that you'd speak to us now. Lord, do what you need to do in our hearts. We thank you for the celebration of baptism. We thank you for this gift of communion that we're going to take. And we're going to take and we're going to be reminded that we are, we're part of your family. You gave your life for us so that we could become children of God. God, move in our hearts, move in our church, in our city. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have communion stations around. Take as much time as you need to pray. We'll have a prayer team in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. It'd be my honor to pray with you. Uh, We have stations, four stations around. And you don't have to be a member of our church to partake, but you do have to be part of God's family. If there's been a time in your life where you've stepped across a line of faith and trusted in Jesus Christ, then we invite you to come. And here we just take the little cup out and we eat the wafer and then flip it upside down and take the juice. And you can do that when you're ready. We're going to sing in a minute. We'll be back there to pray if you... Need somebody to pray with.